something that is beyond our, our, our human capacity to, to even dream it up, to think it up. And so I just want to be caught up in that. I want to be caught up in a thing that, that we can't define because it's in that that I'm reminded that if we could define it, then it wouldn't be him. And so when it's new, and these are some of the, these are some of the, this is some of the language that I've just been uh, holding on to in this season. Whenever it's new, you just follow the voice. And I'm so, I'm so glad, grateful for the word, but there's just times where we just need to hear from heaven. And the, and the word shapes us and molds us and keeps us, keeps us right. But whenever it's new, we just, we follow, we follow the voice. And so we want to be a people that in this season are familiar with his voice, the sheep. His sheep know his voice. And so I want us to be a people that are familiar with his voice. And whenever something's new, that's what we do. Um, so let's uh, if you have your Bible or you have your phones, let's um, see, how, see how loose I've gotten this. You've, I've, you've beat me. You've beat me. I'm not fighting with you anymore. Take your phones out of you want. Second Timothy chapter 4. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what we've sang. Thank you for the psalms that the psalm that we've that we've read and been encouraged and motivated by. And um, thank you that you are that you're for us. Thank you. That there's nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that it's only us that can distract from the things that you want to do in and through us. I thank you as we think about our, the towns and the villages, the communities, even the, the nations that we represent this morning, the, the, the love that we have and the dreams that we have just fail in comparison to the depth of the love that you have for our communities, to the things that you want to see happen within our communities and within our neighborhoods. Uh, we, can't even, we can't even scratch the surface of the, of the, of the depth of passion that you have for, for these places that you are leading us to and that you're burdening us for that you're giving us a, a heart and a desire to see transformed um, uh, and so God we just pray as we, as we uh, just look at your word for these last few moments we have together would you do what you do what you always do and challenge us and encourage us and continue to allow us to see that invitation that you have for us all uh, in your story in your word and uh, so would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? God, would the, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just read these few verses. <coughs> In the presence of God, 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth and they will turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
And so as I've already said, these are the closing words, these are the closing remarks of, of Paul. And, uh, and in spite of everything that Paul has been through, you read through his letters and he, is, he has endured it all. He's went through beatings, he's went through shipwrecks, he's been stoned, he's been whipped. He's faced uh, imprisonment many times. But it's almost as we read through Second Timothy that we begin to see that Paul recognizes that time's up. I think it seems, it seems clear to me as I read through this final letter that Paul is aware that this is one situation that he's not going to get out of. And we see it in, um, we see it in chapter 2, verse 9. I'm suffering. I'm suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal. See, I find it interesting even in chapter 1, verse 17, where we're speaking, where Paul is telling Timothy about Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus. Who wants to have another go? And uh, he's speaking of this of this guy, and and he had to, he went to Rome, and it, Paul was they didn't even know where Paul was. They had him so locked up that him that him that had him in chains, that had him such in such captivity that that this friend, that this colleague, that this uh, partner in ministry had to search really hard to find where where Paul was. Paul knew that he was coming near the end as we get to as we if we were to read on in, in chapter two or chapter four sorry um in verse six I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. Paul knows that his race is run. We get to verse eighteen and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And so just, for, just so that you know, that's the, that's, the, that's the context that Paul is writing here. In, the, in the, the depth of suffering, the depth of despair, he is writing these words to Timothy, knowing that these are the final words that he's going to get to share with one of his closest confidants. And, and as you read through this letter, you begin to get an insight into all that Paul has battled with and continues even in this moment uh, to, to battle with. He has faced um, he has faced the grief of being deserted. He says in chapter 1, verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including those two mentioned. Everyone has deserted me. And then, and then in the, as he gets into chapter, as he gets into chapter 2, it wouldn't have been a chapter 2 for, for Paul, but it was we get into chapter 2 we begin to see that not only was he dealing with being deserted by those that had gathered around him, but there was also this, the problem, the issues of these false teachers that were rising up all over the place. Some of their, some of their des- describing some of them um, in verse, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3. Let me just highlight one that there is ones that have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Have nothing to do with them. The language seems really harsh. But I think that there's some, whenever we think, I think whenever we have in our minds what a false teacher is or what a false teacher represents, I think 
we often we often ignore that this is also a false teaching that there is a that there is a form of godliness there is a way of following Jesus that, but that de- that denies its power that denies the power that is available for those who believe and follow Jesus it's a it's a it's a teaching that Paul wants Timothy to avoid at all costs Timothy he's reminding him we cannot do this you cannot do this without the power of the spirit you cannot do this without the renewing of the spirit and I think this whole letter this final letter is a reminder from Paul to Timothy the urgency to be renewed in the spirit context is important but but Paul's urgent uh, urgent request of Timothy is that he sees the need to be renewed in the spirit and right at the start of this letter he says Timothy I'm reminding you to fan into flames the, the, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God did not give us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline or of sound mind as some of your versions will have. And I just think, I, and I know this is a personal letter, I know this is personal to, to Timothy, but I think there's just some, something really significant I feel about this letter for us today. No, nothing more so than the urgency to be renewed in the Spirit. The urgency to fan and to flame the gift which is in each one of us. The urgency to, to be a people that are not one of fear and of retreat, but are ones that truly know what it is to be filled with, the, with power, with love, and with a sound mind. I think this is really important for us today. And as the, as the, as the, as the first chapter, as we read on in this first chapter, I know I'm taking you all over the place. I hope you're, I hope you're still with me. But in verse 14, again, it's something that was personal to Timothy, but I feel like it's really important for us to hear. I think this is something really significant for us to hear these words in our situation, in our context, in our day. Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And I want to say that to us today. I want to say that with as, almost as much depth and meaning and urgency as Paul shared it with Timothy. Church, guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. Paul is reminding Timothy, and I think the same reminder is for us today, don't sit on it. Don't sit on the thing that has been entrusted to you. We are a people that are on the move. We are a people that are... Uh, that have been caught up in the movement of God, the outworkings of the things of God, the, the outbreaking of the kingdom of heaven on earth. We can't afford to sit on it. And so when Paul is saying to Timothy, guard it, he's not saying, he's not saying sit on it. He's not saying keep it to yourself. I think what he is saying is, Timothy, take ownership of this thing. Take ownership of this thing that has been entrusted to you. I'm saying it to us as a church today, take ownership, take ownership of the church, of your gifting, of what you've been called to, of the thing that we have been invited into as the people of God. 
guard it. Take ownership of it. It's been entrusted to you. And that is language that I think is really important for us to hear. I take it really serious whenever somebody entrusts something to me. To give a really silly example, we were down at the park yesterday. I was down at the park with, um, with uh, what do you call my children? Caleb and Eli and Jada. And, uh, and so Caleb was playing football and uh, Eli and Jada were running about the park. And I'm sitting trying to find the shade. I'm aware that I didn't put sun cream in this bald head. And I'm starting to panic and I'm in the shade. Uh, and this, this girl who's over with her friends comes and sets her uh, four or five bottles of juice in a bag and says, will you make sure nobody takes that? Will you look after that for me and make sure nobody comes and takes it? And uh, that's why I felt like I've been entrusted. She has entrusted me to guard this thing that she is, that is really important to her. But I, but I was aware that I was aware whenever I got up to leave that I couldn't find I couldn't find this young girl and then I seen her over with her friends and I felt like I need to tell her that I'm leaving and I'm no longer I can no longer be entrusted with her juice and uh, and so thankfully she'd separated herself from her friends because all of a sudden eight to ten eleven uh, year old girls looked very intimidating for me and uh, so thankfully she'd separated herself from her friends and I was like just to let you know um, I need to go here so you might want to go and get your juice. Anyway, silly example. But I, but I just felt like whenever somebody entrusts something to you, like if a friend or a family or whatever entrusts something to you, not even something physical. Like I felt like, I felt like whenever we are, whenever I've been on a mission trip with dad, like dad as director of drop-ins is entrusting me with something. And the only way I'm ever going to guard it well is taking ownership of it. And so I think whenever we consider the church, I don't want to go off on a, on a thing at the church. I think I hope you know our heart for the church, our desire and our passion for local church. But I'd love it that you understood the, the, the importance of what has been entrusted to you. The church, the manifold wisdom of God being displayed across the nations, even to the heavenly realms has been entrusted to you. And so I think there's an urgency in this message that we take ownership of that thing that has been entrusted. And so this is some of the, the context, this is some of the, the bigger picture that, that, uh, that, that is going on, that Paul is um, speaking to Timothy. He's sharing these things with him as, a, as his closing remarks, as a final reminder. And so just take these two things in the closing moments that we have. Keep your head in all situations and endure suffering. And again, I think this, I hope that this is something that we can, that can be, we can be challenged by, that we can wrestle with. But I just want to offer this to you that I feel like this is, a, this is a, one of these now words. Because very, very rarely does it happen that, that, I, that, in, a, that in a moment that God would speak so clearly on where that he wanted us to go in these two weeks. I've, I don't think I've ever been more consciously aware of him leading me and where we would, where we would, uh, where we would go in these two Sundays. I said I want to make any big statements. I, I, I want to still offer this open-handedly. I still want to, I still want to use that language quite cautiously. But it feels to me that this is 
a word for us for now. And so with that in mind, I'm, I'm encouraging you that we would begin to wrestle what it is to keep our head in all situations. This word, um, keeping your head, from what I can see, it's only, it's only mentioned another five or six times through, through the New Testament. It's only mentioned another few times in the writings of Paul. But every time he uses it, he's, it's, it's being clear-minded. It's being sober-minded. It's this idea of being alert. This idea of, uh, of not reacting too quickly, of being calm, of being composed. And, uh, and so this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. Timothy, don't, in spite of all that's going on, don't react too quickly. Be calm, be composed, be clear-minded, be sober-minded. And the thing that struck me about, about the other places where this, this word is mentioned, uh, specifically in, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 uses this, uses this word. Therefore, prepare your minds. And it's the same, in the original, it's the same word. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then again, a few verses later in First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore, be clear-minded. It's that same word again. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And so again, for me, to make this personal, I, the times where I am least clear-minded, the times where I am finding it hardest not to react too quickly, where I'm finding it hard to keep, as the message version says, to keep an eye on what you're doing, to have this single-mindedness. I am, I am consciously aware that in those moments where there is a real battle in my mind, that it's when I struggle to pray. It's whenever I find prayer the, the most difficult. When, I, when, I'm not, when I'm not in a place of clear-mindedness, when I'm not in a place of single-mindedness, when I find it hard to keep an eye on what I am doing, it's when I find it hard to pray. And so when I read this verse, when I read what Peter is, is, is writing here, that be clear-minded so that you can pray, for me that begins to make sense. It makes sense that, that the more clear-minded I am, the more, the more focused that I am, the more alert that I am, it's in those moments that I'm able to pray. And Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians, he uses this word to be sober-minded, and he refers to this. He refers to the to the hope as a helmet. What is it that he says? Be clear-minded. Be of, be sober-minded. Be alert. And uh, and goes on to say, use faith and love as a breastplate, and hope as your helmet, hope as the helmet of salvation. There's something, I think there's a link that Paul makes between our clear-mindedness, our alertedness, our sober-mindedness to hope. And again, I don't know, I don't know about you, but as I, try to, as I try to step into those moments of whenever I am at the, 
whenever I'm most self-aware. Hope, hope feels like it's, hope feels like it's distant. Hope feels like it, it's, it's. I'm losing my my grip on hope. I need hope. The proverb says that hope deferred makes a heart sick. And I just think there's a, there's a link that Paul makes between our ability to be clear-minded, our ability to keep our head in all situations, to the reality of the experience that we have of hope and to our ability to pray. James, in his writings, says in James chapter 1, verse 8, don't be double-minded. Because the man that is double-minded is unstable in all that he does. That's why I know again for me in those moments, it's whenever I, I struggle. I struggle to avoid compromise. When I'm double-minded, when I'm not as alert as I usually am, it's when hope feels like it's being deferred. It's when prayer is really difficult. It's whenever I feel the temptation to compromise. And I think that, that, that Paul is saying, sharing the importance and the urgency of this with Timothy because he's aware of what's about to happen. He's aware that he's, he's presenting Timothy, placing him in the front line. Paul has been the one on the front line and Timothy has been his sidekick. Timothy has been there every step of the way. But Paul is realizing what Timothy is about to engage in, what he's about to step into. He's aware that there, Timothy, there's going to be moments because of those that will desert you, because of those that will not understand you, because of those that will, that will continue to peddle a false teaching. You're going to be tempted to give in. You're going to be tempted to compromise. Hope is going to be, hope that you're going to have to wrestle for hope. There's going to be a real battle for your mind and so make sure you place the hope the hope is your helmet of salvation because there's going to be a battle for your mind. The enemy is going to sow seeds of doubt. And as he begins to sow seeds of doubt, he's going to take hold of your ability to think clearly. He's going to take hold of your ability to keep your eye on what you're doing, to keep your head in all situations. And so the enemy is after your mind. He's always sowing seeds of doubt. And so I think Timothy needed to hear this. Timothy, you're about to enter into an environment that you're not used to. You're about to be put into a position that you've never been placed into before. So keep your head. Keep your head so that you don't give in to compromise, so that you continue to pray, and so that hope continues to be the fuel that keeps you going. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to endure suffering. See, one of those, I, I regularly say here that John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are the most are my most favorite parts of the Bible. It's just just this ongoing, the ongoing words of Jesus, and and I just love getting caught up in them. But there's one verse that I always struggle with, and it's that last verse at the end of chapter 16, I think it's 33, that that uh, that Jesus says to the disciples, to those that will say, give their yes to Him. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love the second half, but sometimes I have to wrestle through the first half before I experience the joy and the hope of that second half. In this world, you will have 
trouble, would take heart. I've overcome the world. And in these closing words that Paul makes to Timothy, he doesn't want him to be unaware. Paul is such a father. He doesn't want Timothy to be unaware of what he's going to experience. And that's why right from the, right from the outset, he's, he said, Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Join me in suffering from the gospel. And then it's one of these words that I'm reading through this almost with my, reading through my fingers in chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. In fact, Timothy, you know this, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so in the presence of God, and who will judge the living and the dead, this is the charge that I'm giving to you, Timothy. Endure it. The message version says that just be ready. Be ready to go through the good and the bad. Be ready to knuckle down and, and experience the painful hardship. Experience painful hardship that seems to be a setback, but it really isn't. And so I don't know, I don't know where we find ourselves sort of as we wrestle. I know, I know what's going on on the surface with many of you. But for a lot, for probably most, I don't know what it is that you're wrestling with. And maybe that's where you're at. You're experiencing painful hardship. But it only seems to be a setback. It really isn't. And there's so much other verses, we don't have time, but there's so many other places that we can go to to engage with this idea of enduring suffering, of be, being ready, being ready to go through the hard times. We... Last Sunday, I shared some of the things that we learnt from our brothers and sisters that are actually full on in the front line and actually a, 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 a saying yes to Jesus puts their life at risk. These words, these words are a true reality for them. And I'm pretty sure for us that a, that a saying yes to Jesus is not going to cause us to endure the same suffering as we see in the life of Paul. As we see, as we have experienced in the life, in the life of uh, friends that we that we now have the joy of calling friends in the Middle East. But I think there needs to be a preparedness that obeying the words and the ways of Jesus is so countercultural that it's going to upset. It goes against the grain. It goes against the norm. It's the upside down kingdom that we have committed ourselves to that we have said yes to being a part of and so whenever you say yes to something that is so upside down that is so counter-cultural it's going to offend and it's going to upset and so your your tribulation and your trials will, will look different to what to what paul was saying to timothy but the principle remains the same if you're going to say yes to jesus if you're going to make your way to the front line of what it is to follow him if you're going to fan the fan into flame the gift that has been laid on you, if you're going to be entrusted and take ownership of the thing that has been deposited in you, then the same principles apply to each one of us today. Be ready to keep your head in all situations. Be ready to endure trouble. Be ready to endure suffering. Set your mind on, on going through whatever comes your way. And so I think as we go back to those words of Jesus in John 16, there is, for Jesus, these are his, in many ways, these are his closing words. 
These are the final words that he wants to say to his disciples before he is arrested and taken to the cross. And there's a lot that he gets in. There's a lot that he wants to say. But he's saying to the disciples, this is all that's going to happen. I am placing you in the front line. You have been my sidekicks. You have partnered with me in this. But now I'm going. And it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit is going to come and make his home in you. I'll not leave you as orphans, but the Holy Spirit will come and make his home in you. He will live in you. He will dwell in you. He will be with you and he will be in you. And I think Jesus does the same thing that uh, we see Paul doing with Timothy. Church, those that have said yes to me, there is an urgency of being renewed in the Spirit. There is an urgency to being filled in the Spirit. There is an urgency of pursuing his call. There is an urgency in fanning into flame the gift that has been given to you. There is an urgency to guard the deposit that has been entrusted to each and every one of us. There is a call to take ownership of the church in a way that has never been done before. There is, a, there is a call to take ownership of the great commandment and the great commission that I feel that there has never been before. And sort of closed, let me finish with this. As I was reading over this, as I was reading over these few verses just before everybody started to come in this morning, and maybe this is in the context of our move, but, but Paul in verse 2 says, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Because of the urgency that Paul felt, because of the urgency that he sensed, he says, Timothy, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what the season is, doesn't matter where the favor is, just keep on preaching. Just keep on presenting Jesus. Just keep on making him known. And so when it comes to the, the thought of this move, I, there's times that we can, well, I am, not, I am not gifted for that. I am not ready for that. I am not prepared for that. But, but here's, here's the words. And again, I'm, I'm offering this loosely. I don't want to try and manipulate you, spiritually manipulate you into doing stuff that you don't want to do. But I think that, that, there, that there was such an urgency in Paul. He said, just Timothy, get stuck in. Get stuck in. And whenever, whether it's the season for it or not, get stuck in. And even when it's not the season for it, get stuck in. Whether you feel that it's for you or not, get stuck in. Preach the word. And while you're doing it, I love this, while you're doing it, do it with great patience. Do it with great patience and careful instruction. And that's what it's going to take for many of us. I feel like the, the, some of the neighbors that we've had the joy of just building a relationship over the last wee while, I've needed to know I've needed to know this verse. I didn't know it at the time, but I've known it over the last week. Whatever season it is, Neil, wherever the, these guys find themselves in, you keep on preaching the word. But do it with careful, do it with great patience and careful instruction. And so I think that's where, that's where, we, where we are at. And I want, us to, I want us to know the word. I want us to know not just the black and white letters that are on the page. There's no power in, there's no power in these pages. There's power in, in the one that they reveal. So I think there's just real urgency for us to know the word so that we can in fact preach it in whatever season. And so I think we, we want to know it. I want to know him. And I feel like whenever, whenever I know him, it doesn't matter the season because I'm prepared to speak. So, Father, I just pray that you would um, bless this word. I don't know how else to land it, but I just pray for your grace and your goodness to, uh, to allow this to make sense.
to allow this to be something that we will wrestle with, to engage with, to pursue in a way that we've never done before. God, as we said on Wednesday night, would you just allow us to be to come into a place this, in this season that we would just be bold, that we would be brave, and that we would be, be kind. And so we continue to look to you, Jesus. We fix our eyes on you, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross. And so, God, I just pray that you would set a joy before us, as David shared at the start, that we would endure the cross, that we would endure the carrying of our cross for the joy that was, would be set before us. God, the joy for you was always people. The joy that was set before you was always people. And so, God, would you, uh, would you allow the same experience to take place within us? As we, look upon, as we look upon those that have rejected you, those that have turned their back on you, God, those that, uh, that are maybe even far from you, God, we just pray that you would allow us to see them as you see them. You would allow us to see our neighbors and our communities in the way that you see them, God. We would endure the suffering. We would endure the rejection. We would endure the pain for the joy that, uh, that, would be, that we would, would set, be, be set before us. And then... Uh, so God, we just continue to do a work of transformation within me. Will you continue to do a work of transformation within us? God, we thank you for your constant challenge. Thank you that even whenever it's difficult, whenever it feels like it's, it's, a, it's a word of rebuke, God, I thank you that you're so gentle, that you're, that you're doing it for our good. Anything that you want to say to us, anything you want to challenge us with, anything you want to strip away from us, God, it's for our good and for your glory. And so, God, we thank you for your challenge. We thank you for your correction. And we, we thank you for your invitation. God, I continue to be stunned by your invitation that would call us to, to guard the, the message, to guard the gospel, to guard the truth that has been entrusted to us. And so, God, we just take ownership of this in a, in a fresh way. We take ownership of this in a way that we've never, never done before. And God, we just give us confidence to be able to do that. Give us confidence to be able to to carry it well, to be able to guard it strongly. And God, that we would keep our head in all situations. We would keep our minds clear and alert and sober. God, we would endure whatever it 